Morning, church. I'm glad you're here. I'd be lonely without you. We uh, are in a series in Ephesians, so if you have a Bible, go on, and um, you can go to Ephesians 6. And we've been looking at um, relationships these past few weeks. We've looked at husbands and wives, and we've looked at children and parents, and and now we're picking up in a, a new part, but uh, one thing that, that you'll hear said around here that I, I fully agree with is, is life is better with Jesus, and with Jesus, I'm better at life. Life is better with Jesus, and with Jesus, I'm better at life. It seems like this time of year, it's a funny week. I, I know some of us have to work, some of us don't, uh, but as we approach New Year's Day is coming up. And every year, millions of Americans will, um, uh, will do New Year's resolutions. That's where we, we make decisions and want to take our life in a positive direction. And so we'll uh, try to make some changes. You know, probably the, the most popular, it's not probably, it is the most popular uh, New Year's resolution is always to lose weight, exercise more. It's always top of the list. Uh, and then others will follow in behind. But what about success when it comes to that? Uh, here are some statistics regarding uh, New Year's resolutions. As far as uh, one week, making it to the one week mark with the New Year's resolution still intact, 75% will make it one week. Two weeks, 71%. One month, the success drops all the way down to 64%. And then at six months, 46%. So the odds aren't really in our favor that we're going we're gonna to be successful that way. But, you know, New Year's resolutions, uh, even though it's only 46% at the six-month mark, uh, if you don't make a New Year's resolution, change is even harder because uh, the statistics show that those who didn't make a resolution at the six-month mark only 4% were still in line with their goal. So obviously resolutions can help us, but, but that's not the change or the level and degree of change that we are talking about when it comes to following Jesus. Following Jesus, I don't know if there's been any scientific study, but in my experience of talking with people, I, 100% of people that follow Jesus with all of their heart find themselves getting better, better at life. I've never met anyone who says, you know, I look and the worst times in my life, the most painful memories I have, all stem from when I wasn't following Jesus. I've heard that, but I've not heard those painful times are all because I was following Jesus. See what I'm saying? I've never, never heard of someone on their deathbed saying, man, why did I waste so much time following Jesus? I've never heard that. You see, we get better with Jesus. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 5, he says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. 
knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Whether he is a bondservant or free, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. We read this, and in our, our mindset, we're bond servants, slaves, what in the world are we talking about? You've got to understand, uh, the Bible was written for us, but not necessarily to us. It was written to the early church. It was written here to the church at Ephesus. And in the Roman Empire at this time, slavery was common practice. Estimates show anywhere from a third to almost a half of the population was in slavery. And when we hear slavery or slaves and things, we start thinking of the early American South. And that's, that, that's not the feel um, anyway. It was more of an indentured servant. Now, sure, there were masters who, who were awful. And the, the Bible is not condoning slavery. I want to be very clear that, that it's not saying that's, that, that's okay. Because we'll find uh, in other scriptures... It's very clear this whole trafficking people and treating them as slaves is completely, completely forbidden. But here he's writing to, to the church, speaking to the culture of the time. And so he, he shows that not only do relationships get better, we get better uh, in marriages with children and parenting, but also even with slaves or bond servants here. Now, when, when we think about that, the, the bond servants here, it, d- understanding why do we find this here? Think about it. He's talked about marriage. He's talked about children, parenting. And, and now he's talking about bond servants in the household. He's addressing the entire household. And that's what we see all throughout scripture is, is God elevates the vulnerable, protects the vulnerable, those that are looked down or seen as less, less thans, that, that God elevates them. He elevates women. He elevates children. He elevates the servants of the house, the lowest of the low. But servants could be seen as household members as far as when their time was up, they've paid off their debt. They could choose to stay with the family. They could choose to become uh, or, or stay there even though their, their debt had been paid. And, and so Paul's addressing the household here and it's very clear that he elevates the, the women, children, slaves, that it's very clear um, that the elevation of these people that were overlooked, that were not seen as the same, that when it comes to the cross, man, all of it is level ground. When it comes to the cross, it doesn't matter slave or free, Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter smart or dumb. We're all one in Christ, male or female, slave or free. We are all one in Christ. There's no flatlander, mountain dweller. It doesn't matter. It's we are united as one in Christ. He died for the world, not just our favorites, not just the people we think make the cut, but he died for the world. And so when we walk with Jesus, this is what I want to drive home. When I walk with Jesus, I become better. I become better. When I walk with Jesus, I become better in every area of my life if I'm walking with Jesus. I become a a, a better husband, a better dad. I become a better son. 
I become a better coworker, a, a better, um, a better, you name it, you fill it. it it's, we become better. You see, our relationship with Christ revolutionizes our relationships at work. When we are walking with Christ, we get better, and that changes everything. So what's your, what's your motivation? What's your motivation for work? Is it just a way to pay the bills, a necessary evil? I mean, some of us here, we, does anyone here love their job? Are you blessed to love your work? Man, this is such a blessing, okay? Thank you. This is such a blessing, and I, oh, it's so good to see other hands go up because, you know, it's like every day is a vacation when you love your occupation that we, we, we find ourselves enjoying and enjoying the work of your hands for the Lord is, is truly, truly a blessing. But now there were some hands that didn't go up that I noticed that you don't enjoy your work. You don't love what you do. And, and that's Okay. But I think we could all agree it was our choice. That the job we, we find ourselves in, we chose. Okay, and, and maybe, maybe it wasn't the choice we wanted to make. Maybe there weren't any other choices to make, any other options. But at the end of the day, we still chose that job. I'm sure the bond servants here, the slaves might not have made their choice like we do. But if Christ can change those relationships, then why can't he change ours? When, 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 when we follow Christ, we get better, and we find that that changes us, changes the people around us even, and that our relationships um, are, are, are better because of Christ. I remember um, early, um, one of my first mentors in ministry, Keith. Keith. Keith was my boss, but he never let me know that. And what I mean is, is whenever there was something to be done, say there was something that needed to be cleaned or swept or something that normally you'd send the little guy on the totem pole or you'd send the little guy there to do it, uh, Keith wouldn't do that. He wouldn't say, Chad, you need to go do this, but what? rather Keith would be the one to, to do it himself. He's one of those guys that's so smart. It just blows you away once you get to know him. You know, the guy had a doctorate degree, but I didn't have a clue because he didn't, he didn't flaunt it. He wasn't trying to say, I'm over you better than you or anything, but he simply showed what it looks like to serve the Lord. When Paul... Paul says our motivation, when he's talking, the motivation here, according to Paul, is very clear, is that it comes from a sincere heart, doing the will of God from the heart. That, that sincere here means it's a singular purpose. It's, it's true. It's not hypocritical in that you have multiple motives for doing what you do. Rather, the, the motive here for Jesus' people, is, is, is to please the Lord. And that submitting to their masters, submitting to your boss, is because you are submitting to Christ, ultimately. You know, Jesus didn't say, you know, love me with everything that you are and disregard everybody else in the process. 
That's not what walking with Jesus looks like at all. That, that rather, um, it's not in moments of convenience, but it's all of the time as we are walking with Jesus, we see that we want to submit and, and uh, submit to others as we submit to Christ. That's what Jesus said, right? As you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to who? Me. Jesus says the way you are treating other people is how you're ultimately treating me. First John will echo this and say, you know, if we can't love people that we have seen, then how can we love God who we haven't seen? It's following Christ means submitting to those in authority over us, even when it's not what we want to do, even when we don't think they have the best way or the right answer, submitting to them as we would to Christ. Because this is what what it is, the motivation, desire sincerely, uh, is holy and focus, fully focused on pleasing the Lord. But why? Why do you think God would ask for this? I believe he told the servants to submit to their masters as to the Lord because the goal is to see the master become a Christian, to see to see the gospel moving forward. Titus chapter two, I, I love how it says it in the NIV. It says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. The motivation is clear, is to win the master, to make the gospel attractive. You, have you thought about that on your job? When you look at your job, are you seeing it as an opportunity to make the gospel attractive? You know, is it a get to or a got to? I don't know, but when you hear that, that get to or got to, I have flashbacks to childhood and mom's saying, you know, you get to do this. You too, same mom? No. But, but, but we need to see it from this perspective of, of we get to make the gospel attractive. The gospel's attractive on its own, right? We mess it up sometimes, and the image bearers get in the way of the image, and, and that we can get in the way. Well, the God, making the gospel attractive was so that, that the masters would know the Lord. So does your work make the gospel attractive? What would your coworkers say? What would the people around you Say, would they say that your life, the way you're working, the way you're living is making the gospel attractive? You see, if we're not careful, we'll take our eyes off of fixing on Jesus, of fixating on Jesus and focusing on him. And what? We'll start focusing on other things. We'll look at our coworker and think, oh, they are so annoying. They are so incompetent. We'll look at our boss and think, man, what, what just a big old meanie. You know, well, the person doesn't care about me at all. And we'll look and we'll start what? We'll start feeding into the very thing we don't like. All of a sudden, when our eyes are off, Jesus tempers flare, gossip continues, lying happens, all these things that we are opposed to, that we don't want anything to do with. All of these things start emerging to the surface when we take our eyes off of Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, I say here, we need to do everything in our power to make sure that the gospel is attractive, that someone isn't 
isn't turning away the gospel because of us, but rather they would want to see it. In order to make the gospel attractive, it's clear we need one, one thing primarily, and that is integrity. Integrity. Integrity is absolutely essential in making the gospel attractive. When you think about integrity, I always think my dad, when trying to talk about this, would, I remember dad asking, you know, what would you do if you could do anything in the world? What would you do if you knew you wouldn't get caught? See, that's your integrity. Who are you when, when no one's looking, when no one's watching? Verse, verse 6 is with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you, would, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. See, don't just be a Christian on Sunday when everybody's watching and then go do your own thing. No, integrity means we are the same and that we walk with Jesus every moment. We strive to be with him. I, I was talking with my wife and just uh, Megan and I were in the car and I'm, I'm asking her, all right, I'm preaching on Sunday and uh, honestly, I have no clue how, how to make this connect because I know, I know we all know what it's like to please someone when everyone's watching or when they're watching, but we do the opposite when they're not watching, right? Um, and, and so... I was like, can you think of an example? And my wife, Megan, um, she says, yeah, I, I, I can. And I got permission to share this, just so you know. She says, you know how you're driving and you're, you go, you know, the speed, you go a little over the speed limit. And, but whenever you see a, a police car, what do you do? You, you slow down, right? Yeah. Well, she, she said, yeah, I was driving and I saw, I, I saw what looked like to be the sheriff, a sheriff's car. And so I slowed down, but as I got closer, I realized that wasn't the sheriff, it was a volunteer. And so I floored it and went on. <laughs> My wife's honest. Some of you know what I'm talking about, that, that, that we will, we cannot be, we can't have that duplicity. We need integrity. And that following Jesus, we are, the, we are walking with him wherever we're walking, and we don't care who's watching because we only care about him. You see, somebody is always watching. Whether, whether the person's down here or not, we know that the one who is in heaven, who sees what is done in secret, he is watching, and he is the one that matters. So what's your integrity? What would you do for, for $10 million? Um, a few, uh, several years ago, there was a study done um, as far as if you were, they were polling people, what would you be willing to do for $10 million? Would you do these things? And two-thirds of the Americans polled said that they would, agreed to at least some of these. 25% said for $10 million, they would abandon their entire family. 25% said they would abandon their church. 23% said they would become prostitutes for a week or more. 16% said they would give up their American citizenships. 16% would leave their spouses. 
10% would, would withhold testimony that, and let a murderer go free. 7% would kill a, a stranger. And even 3% agree, uh, said that they would put their children up for adoption. For $10 million. So what's your integrity? Imagine, imagine a guy wanting to cover up his past. And he knows to do that. He, he, he needs to get rid of someone. And so he goes uh, and tries to find a hitman. And, and when he finds his hitman, his potential hitman, he goes up to this guy who's obviously a bad dude and says, all right, man, would you take this person out for a million dollars? Hitman thought for a moment and said, yeah, for a million dollars, I'll, I'll take out whoever you want me to take out. The man said, good. Well, what about for five dollars? He looked at him and frustrating, he said, five dollars? Well, what, what kind of person do you think I am? He said, I already know what kind of person you are. I'm just trying to determine the price. What kind of person are we? What's our price? Can we even be bought? Because we have been bought. Jesus, people, we cannot forget this. We have been bought at a price. We are to honor God because he is the one who's created us and redeemed us. He has bought us and that price did not come cheap. So what's your integrity? What would your price be? Verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. Paul gives us another reason to submit, another reason to do, do the right thing. It is, uh, it is because there's going to be a payday someday. God will not be mocked. We will reap what we sow. And there is going to be a reward for us when we get home, we're not home yet, so we haven't received our reward fully. But we know that there will be a day when God rewards everyone according to what they have done. And think about it. You know, are you looking forward to that day? Jesus' people are. If not, ask why not? Why am I not looking forward to his return? Why am I not looking forward to the reward? Uh, Perhaps you're, you're sowing your wild oats and praying for crop failure. That's a miserable way to live. But there will be a day when we will receive back from the Lord. I hope you hear that. Listen, I know some of us, you're discouraged. You, it stinks to be overlooked, and you have been overlooked and overlooked. You're serving God faithful faithfully, and it looks like all around other people, the Lord just seems to be blessing. But here you are. It's like you are getting overlooked. Continue. Continue to walk by faith. Don't give up. Remember this. There will be a payday someday. There will be a day when, when we see him, and he will reward us. We will receive back, and what we went through won't even compare to what he has in store for us. I mean, just think about heaven Oh, when we think about heaven, it's, can you imagine what that is going to be like to be with Jesus? 
I mean, the place is just described so beautifully. I mean, it's Golden Street, right? But the, the, the saints of God are the inhabitants of that place, of that city. And to think, we're going to be there where, where there's no more crying and there's no more pain. There's no more tears. There's no more death. That God, it says, he wipes away the tears. And when God wipes away the tears, I really believe that's saying that there is going to be a day when God writes every wrong. That's the wiping away of tears, where God writes every wrong. I cannot wait for that. That ought to stir a little excitement here. I mean, isn't that what we're all aiming for? You know... I, when I think about heaven being home, we, we can't forget our citizenship's not here. Heaven is our home. When, when, when I think about that, I, I, I just, are you homesick? See, there should be a part of us that is a large part of us that should be homesick, that longs for, for what he has in store for us. And so when we think about that, are you homesick? When we keep that mentality, we realize that we start living for him and we, we, all of a sudden the prices and the sacrifices that, that cost us in following Jesus aren't that big of a deal. But if we're not careful, we get, we get very comfortable and complacent. I, I don't know if you've ever been on a vacation where you do a VRBO, Verbo, uh, where you, you'll rent a house or something for the week and just uh, amazing. Uh, anyone, anyone else? All right, you know. I want you to imagine you're, you're going away for a week and then you walk into the house, the Verbo, and you notice, ah, uh, the paint color is a little out of style. And so you're going to paint the house, right? No. You walk in in the living room, you're like, oh, this, this couch just isn't comfortable enough. And so you're going to go buy a couch, right? You're going to get a new TV, a theater system. You're going to put a new kitchen in, right? No. No, because all of these inconveniences, you realize this, this is only for a few days. You're not going to go through all that trouble because, you know, it's just for a few days. So we'd say that's crazy to renovate a house you're only living in for a week, right? And probably against the contract, too. But as crazy as that is, isn't that what some of us do with our lives? Like that we, we, We're trying to make this home. We're trying to get extra comfortable here. And that's, that's ludicrous to, to, do it, to do life like that. Remember that we will receive back from the Lord that he does have a, a reward in store for us. And in the process, Jesus makes us better. He is preparing us for home. You realize this is just practice for heaven, right? That, that walking with Jesus here is what will make us feel at home in heaven. We are getting prepared, and he makes us better employees. He makes us uh, better spouses. He makes us uh, better bosses. He makes us better leaders, better leaders that every single one of us here have. We have influence. You have influence that, that nobody else has. It is unique to you. God has gifted you in ways that only you are gifted, and the influence you have on the people around you, only you can have that influence. And Jesus makes us better leaders by, by showing us how to use our leadership for him. 
In verse 9, he says, Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with them. See, it makes us better bosses, you know. The, the master here, he's like, no, you can't. You can't walk all over your servants just because you're the master. No, realize we all have one ultimate master, and there's no favoritism with him. He doesn't play favorites. And so when you look at this, you got to remember that, that how Jesus lived and how Jesus modeled authority is truly amazing. The disciples mess this up all the time. Uh, there was one time where the disciples, uh, they always seemed to be arguing about who was going to be the greatest. And there was one day, the, the two of the disciples, James and John, go to Jesus without the other disciples, just James and John. Oh, and their mom. Yeah, these mama's boys, their mom went to Jesus and knelt down to ask a favor. And she's asking, you know, Jesus, will you let my boys... James or John, will you let them sit at your right and your left? Will you make them number the, your right-hand man, your left-hand man? Give them authority. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 no, no, no. That's, that's God's decision. But listen, it, it's, it, it's, it's different. It's different for Jesus' people. That authority doesn't just... Uh, happen to work the way the world works authority. It's different. So when the other 10 disciples hear this, they are flipping out. They are ticked off. You know, how could James and John and their mom go behind their backs and do this? They're trying to cut them out of the deal. And so the 10 are upset and Jesus doesn't really, um, doesn't really, he addresses it this way. Jesus says, he called to them and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." See, Jesus is saying, guys, the way world uh, authority works in the world is different than the way it works among Jesus' people. And if you want to be great, you've got to be a servant. It, 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 you don't lord over your authority over other people. That's what the world does, man. Jesus shows a different way. In fact, Jesus is the, is the prime example. In Philippians 2, verse 7, we see, it says that Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of man. Have you thought about that? When Jesus took on skin, when he came down here, he left the praise and the adoration of all of the angels of, of heaven. He left the comfort. He left everything. And he took on skin. He became a man so that he could experience everything that we experience. He knew what it was like to have a bad day. He knew what it was like to have a headache. He knew what it was like to get sick. He knew what it was like to have all the issues that we deal with day in and day out. And Jesus took that on willingly. But do you notice that Philippians 2, 7, what it said? That he took the form of a, a servant, of a slave. That word for what Jesus became is the same word as what we find in Ephesians 6. That, that, that slave, it's the same word that Jesus became the lowest that he possibly could be so that he could 
give his life as a ransom for many. You see, if that's Jesus' example, Jesus had all authority. He could have done whatever he wanted. But if Jesus' example was to empty himself, take the low spot, to lift others up, then then why would we expect to do any different? If he's our teacher and we're wanting to be like him, we will walk with him, then we, we need to lead like him. And that's how Jesus leads, by being a servant. And so, as we get ready to close here, I want to ask three questions. Three questions for us to think about. Number one is, is have I made a commitment to walk with Jesus? to let him lead. Have you made that decision in your life that you are going to walk with Jesus, that you are going to let him lead? So many times, if we're not careful, we we think Jesus should do things our way, that we have a better way, right? No, it's very important that we, as Galatians would say, keep in step with the Spirit, that we are allowing him to lead. Are you allowing him to be your your master? As Blake said, we are all going to serve something. We are all going to to be a slave to something, a slave to sin or a slave to Christ, a slave to righteousness. They produce two two totally different things. But listen, hear me out. You are going to have a master. We are going to be serving something or someone. There is no better master than Jesus. He says, come to me, you who are weary. What? Take my yoke upon you, right? His yoke is easy, his burden is light. Any other master is a horrible master. But then question number two. How am I making the gospel, the message of Jesus, attractive to those around me. What are you doing to make the gospel message attractive? See, we're the, we're the image bearers. And we're the message bearers. And we, we take the message. But listen, if, if we're not careful, people will focus on the message bearers more than the message. It's so so imperative that we get ourselves out of the way by letting Jesus lead the way. And so what is it you need to do to make the gospel more attractive to win those around you? Maybe, maybe you need to, to repent. Maybe you need to, to confess. Maybe you need to go to someone and make an apology this week saying, hey, I have not been walking with Jesus like I should. I, I, I don't want the message to get lost on me. I want you to see him. Maybe it's in the tone of voice that you use, the rolling your eyes, the expressions you give. Maybe it's these things that, that are getting in the way and stop the gospel from being attractive because all they see is us. It's important that we get out of the way and let them see. You know, I've seen students lead families to Christ. Students, not the parents. Students lead families to Christ. By the way that they live, you see your influence, leveraging it for him, that we are making the gospel attractive by living differently because Jesus changes us. Jesus makes us better. And question number three, what is keeping me from getting better? 
What is holding you back and holding you down? Maybe, maybe it's a sin. You know, uh, what started out as just a little pastime became a pathway, and now you see no way to get away. That you're trapped and in bondage. Maybe it's pride. You know what your maybe is. And if not, ask the Lord to reveal it to you. He will. But what is getting in the way? Will you make a commitment to taking it out of the way? Actually, let me rephrase that. Will you make a commitment to surrendering it to God and he'll take it out of the way? He's the one who can move mountains. Church, let's pray. Father, we come before you. And Lord, we pray that, that you would speak to us in such a way in our hearts that it's clear it's your spirit leading and guiding us, that, Father, you would convict us where we need to be convicted and that you would comfort us where we need to be comforted. And God, that we would see you. Would you do that for us, Father? Would you show us? Just give us a, just a glimpse of you. Let us know you deeper than we ever have. May our walk with you be closer than ever before. And Father, may you be glorified in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you, church.